0: Oh, my God.
1: He ended up on an island all by himself. And he spent years on that island all alone. Finally, the day came, and I'm sure he was excited to where they discovered this man. A boat came along, and there they were, and the captain was there. And the captain was asking this man about the huts. This man had built some huts throughout the years, and he was curious about them. And he said, What are these huts that you have here? And the man said, well, this hut, that's my house. That's where I live. And the captain says, well, what's this other hut here? He said, well, that's my church. That's where I go and worship. And then the captain said, what's that other hut over there? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church, but I got upset and left. (laughs) He was the only member of his church. But he got upset and he left. Today I'm going to talk to you not about how to leave your church, but how to love your church. We're in a series right now to kick off the new year that we're simply calling Reach. We're encouraging you to reach up, to reach in, and to reach out. And last week we talked about reaching up in your worship, and we talked about personal worship. And I encourage you in two areas. First of all, consider how you can worship the Lord as you go throughout your day and your activities And then secondly, I gave you just five minutes added to your schedule. Just five minutes. I don't know if anybody practiced that this past week, but each day, in minute number one, you praise God. In minutes two and three, you read from the Bible. And in minutes four and five, you pray to God. Just five minutes reaching up in your worship to God. Now today, we're going to talk about reaching in. And I'm going to challenge you to reach in like you never have before, to your church. Now, if you're visiting today, let me just say we're going to be kingdom-minded. We know that there are lots of good gospel-preaching churches. If you're a guest today and you belong to another church, then you take what I'm about to tell you back to your church and you practice it in your church. Take these things with you. But how to love your church, how to reach into your church, four ways to fall in love with your church. Are you ready for them? We're going to go through them fairly rapidly today. Number one, if you want to love your church, you need to pray for your church. Did you know that your church needs prayer? In fact, next week we're going to begin a week of prayer for Red Hill Baptist Church, and I'll encourage you when you come in next week to look for a prayer guide. We're going to have a prayer guide printed out, and it'll give you suggested things to pray for our church throughout uh, that week. The early church was a praying church. If you have your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start there today. Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read to you today in the Scripture from the New Living Translation. I just like the way that it words a lot of what we're looking at. But if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word in Acts chapter 2, we have the early church. And it tells us what the early church, what they did, what they were busy doing. You know, a church can't do everything. A church is not supposed to do everything. Uh, There are certain things that God has ordained and desires for the church to do. And we see some of that here in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read just two verses here as we think about praying for our church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So we know that they were baptizing believers. They were adding them to the church. And they knew how many they added. So it kind of tells us there must have been some sort of record-keeping Uh, You say, well, counting people is not spiritual. Well, it says right here, uh, they were counting and they had a lot more people than we have uh, this morning. And then I want you to notice verse 42. And all the believers devoted themselves, and here's what they devoted themselves to, the apostles teaching, that is doctrine, teaching, preaching what we're doing right now, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And then the final thing it says, and to what? Prayer. Prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Over and over again in the Scripture, we are commanded, we're encouraged, we're exhorted, we're reminded to pray, 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 pray. And your church needs prayer. It needs prayer. Why? Because this is a spiritual enterprise that we're engaged in. I was reminded as I was doing some personal devotions this past week about this very concept of, of the spirituality of our church when I was reading from Warren Wiersbeck. Listen to what he said. It comes as a shock to some church members that we cannot manage a local church the same way we run a business. Now, this does not mean we should disregard good business principles, but the operation is totally different. There is a wisdom of this world that works for the world, but it will not work for the church. The world depends on promotion and prestige and the influence of money and important people. That's what the world operates on. That's how they function. But the church, here's what the church depends on. Prayer, the power of the Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. He says the church that imitates the world may seem to succeed in time, but it will turn to ashes in eternity. There's a difference when it comes to the operation of a church. Now, we have to do some things like a business. We keep records. We do all those sorts of things. But we are not a secular business. We're about the Father's business. I am not a CEO. I'm a pastor. We're not looking for a prophet. We're listening to the prophets. We're not looking to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. We're looking for glory. It's a totally different idea. It's a totally different enterprise. The church is the body of Christ. And prayer is vital for the church. Prayer is crucial. Without prayer, we cannot do what God has called us to do. We cannot make it. We need His enablement. We need His power. We need His wisdom. We need His working in the hearts and lives of people. We can preach the gospel to we're blue in the face, but it's the Spirit of God that touches hearts and converts people. We can preach and preach and preach, but unless God the Holy Spirit touches hearts, nothing is really going to happen of eternal significance. So we need you to pray for your church. If you want to fall in love with your church, pray For your church. I I hope you pray for your family. I hope you pray for your spouse. I hope you pray for your kids and your grandkids. You pray about what you love. You pray about what's important to you. Please pray for your church. The second way to fall in love with your church. Are you ready for it? Go to your church. Go to your church. Now, this used to be a given, but it's not that way anymore. Go to your church. You all know that groundhog in Pennsylvania. You heard about him this week. His, what's his name, Punxsutawney Phil? And uh, they tell us he didn't see his shadows so early spring, right?
0: <laughs>
1: Interestingly enough, I saw this past week that someone said that that groundhog must be a Baptist. He must be a Baptist. You know why? He shows up once a year and expects everybody to take him seriously. <laughs> he must be a Baptist. I'm just getting myself in trouble over and over and over again today. Got in trouble with the choir. Get in trouble, And there's more coming. Just hold on. I, I guarantee it. What does the Bible say about going to church? Does it say to go to church? Yes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10:25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, there are all sorts of reasons and excuses that you can give as to why you are going to skip church. What we really need today, I think, is we need some Christians who have the loyalty of NFL fans. Let me show you a a tweet or an X or whatever they call it there. It says, the current estimates for the field's like temperature at kickoff At some of the outdoor games this Saturday, this was back in the end of December, the Bills versus the Bears, minus 11 degrees. The Seahawks at the Chiefs, minus 6 degrees. The Saints at the Browns, minus 9 degrees. And on and on it goes. And yet, you know what you'll find at all those games? You'll find people out in the stands, someone with their shirts off. Now, we don't encourage that here. But with your shirts off, screaming and hollering. And yet, people say, oh, it's too cold to go to church. Well, we have a heated building, by the way. Most cars have heat that I've noticed. Uh, uh, Some don't, but most do. We come up all sorts of excuses. Lifeway Research came out with a study, and they tell us now that a person is considered a regular attender at church if they go to church twice a month or more. If you go to church twice a month, two times a month, you are now considered a regular attender. So basically, I guess, it, I know we're into new math, but the old math, I think, still works. So 24 times, right, somewhere like that in a year, you're considered a regular. You're considered a church attender. Now, coming twice a month is better than coming once a month. Coming twice a month is better than not coming at all. But I'm convinced and I think the Bible teaches and I think wise counsel advises us and wisdom tells us that we should be in church every time we have the opportunity to come to church. I know there are exceptions. I know there are reasons and valid reasons for missing church. But I'm just not really convinced anymore that people really want to be in church every Sunday. I'm just not convinced. Now some do. I think about in my own life. I think about growing up in church. I've been in church my whole life. I was in church before I was born. I was in church after I was born. I grew up in the same church like many of you grew up here. And believe it or not, I came back and I pastored my home church. Talk about a, a challenge to pastor people that changed their diapers in the nursery. That's a, that's a challenge. But you know what I remember growing up? attending church and being a part of church and even pastoring church, I knew that every Sunday that I was going to see certain people at church. They were going to be there, like clockwork. Even in the early days here, I could almost set my watch by certain people be here every Sunday. And there are some that are still doing that, but so many people have kind of just said, you know, church is kind of, we'll go this weekend if nothing else is going on. We'll go if nothing else is going on that's better. You see, church is not a decision that you make on a Sunday at 8 a.m. That's not the time to decide if you're going to church. Because you're going to hit the snooze alarm at that time. It's a decision that you make once and for all. We're going to church. That's the decision. Unless God hinders us, unless there's a true, valid excuse, some reason, someone's really sick. And by the way, if one member of your family's sick, everybody doesn't have to stay home. I'm getting in more and more trouble, by the way.
0: I'm expecting you to come to my defense.
1: Did you bring your gun with? And don't answer that. Parents, remember this: if you come twice a month, your kids and your grandkids might come once a month. Or they might not come at all. Why? Because we model what's important. You can tell them all day long, you know, church is important. But they watch your life. They watch our lives. And they show what is truly important. And so I want to challenge you like never before to make church attendance a priority in your life. And I know we have folks that, we have first responders, we have folks that have to work. There are reasons why you can't be here every Sunday, but I just want to encourage you, you should be here every time you can be here. And that's a decision you make once, and then you manage it from that day forward. That's not a discussion in our home. You say, well, you're the preacher. I haven't always been the preacher. There was a season in our family's life Where I worked for Bible Broadcasting Network, we were members of a church. In fact, God led us to a church that was, what was it, 45 minutes away. We joined a church that was 45 minutes away, one direction. And we traveled to that church. I taught, when I could be there, when I wasn't out doing other ministry for BBN, I taught the adult sanctuary Sunday school class. We worked in the church, we were members of a church. And and church was not a discussion on Sunday. It's a decision that's already been made. And a believer desires to be with other Christians. They desire to be with God's people and to grow and to be encouraged. Why? It's a tough world out there. And we're surrounded by all kinds of evil and wickedness and we need times like this to gather and to fellowship and to worship the Lord together. And so I want to encourage you, if you're going to really love your church, go to your church. I better move on. I'm getting in trouble, but I'm getting in more trouble on this one. You ready for the third way? <laughs> to love your church? Give to your church. You say it's just getting better and better. Give to your church. Now, yes, we give time. Yes, we give talents. But here I'm talking about giving money. I'm talking about what we call tithes and offerings. Not tithes, but tithes and offerings. A tithe what is a tithe? It's 10% of your income. We believe in the tithing of God's people. Tithing, by the way, was modeled before the law was ever given. That was then instituted in the law, but before the law was ever given, we see tithing taking place in the Bible. And then I find it interesting what Jesus said about the tithe. Look at uh, Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. If you want to turn there, you can. If you just want to listen, you can do that too. But I want you to hear what Jesus said about the tithe. Matthew twenty three twenty three. Some of you are thinking I should have stayed home today. <clears throat> Shouldn't have came today. Matthew twenty three twenty three. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? Now here is what Jesus says: For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. I mean, they were careful. They were. We were thinking about their... They're their little herb garden. They were tithing from that. But you ignore, Jesus says, the more important aspects of the law. You ignore justice and mercy and faith. Then notice what he says finally in this rebuke to them. You should tithe, yes. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Now, I personally believe in and I practice tithing. But I've got to remind you that tithing is the is the the floor, not the ceiling. It's the beginning, it's not the end. As God prospers someone, and God blesses someone with finances and resources, God enables that person to give more. That's why they call it tithes and offerings. You're offering above the tithe. Now, really, we're not under the law anymore. You need to understand that. In many ways, what we practice is what is called grace-giving. I think the tithing, 10%, is a good place to begin in grace-giving. But go to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Now, we're studying Second Corinthians right now on Wednesday nights. If you're not coming to that Bible study, we'd love to have you. You so say, what do I have to do? You have to get in your car and drive here. That's all you have to do. You just come. We'll feed you supper at 545. The Bible study starts at 630. And we're kind of in this area. We'll be looking at some of this probably this week in 2 Corinthians. And we studied last uh, this past Wednesday uh, about this same theme because we're just going through the book. But notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8. This is how you are to give. Remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now here's how you give. You're wondering, how do I give to my church? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. That's the starting point. How much am I going to give? I encourage you to start with a tithe. But you pray about it. You seek the Lord. How much should I give? And then notice it says in verse 7, And don't give reluctantly. And then it says, Or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And then it says in verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's quite a promise from God. You give, and I'll make sure that you're taken care of. You obey me and honor me, and I'll make sure that you have enough. Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and in all these things. If you go read what all those things are in there, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? The necessities of life. He says, I'll give those to you. If you're going to wait until you think you can afford to tithe and give, you're never going to give. Because there's always another expense. There's always another concern. There's always something else you could save for and you need to prepare for. But if you'll just step out in faith and say, God, I want to honor you. I want to begin giving. And so many of you do. And I don't know what you give, by the way. I don't see what you give. I just know that you do give. I see the total amounts. So many of you are honoring God in this, but some of you maybe need to take this step in your life and say, listen, I need to begin giving to God. Give, obey God, and see what God can do for what's left over. Well, we've got to hurry. The fourth way to fall in love with your church. Maybe you can breathe a sigh of relief. I've already covered going. I've already covered giving. Now let's talk about serving. If you want to fall in love with your church, serve in your church. Did you know that God did not save you so you could sit sour and soak in a church pew? We're Christians, not pickles. We don't want to sit sour and soak. We're to serve. Some people think that the ministry is to be left up to the professionals. You know that? We hired Pastor Rodney to do the ministry. We hired Pastor Larry to do the ministry. Well, the Bible says a little bit something different. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. So here's what Christ gave to the church. These are gifts from Christ. The apostles, the prophets, The evangelists, we're going to have an evangelist with us in August for homecoming. And the pastors and teachers, many scholars think pastors, teachers goes together there. Their responsibility, whose responsibility? The ones just mentioned, including the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to do what? To equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Did you catch that? Our job, Pastor Larry's job, my job, is to help you to do your job. My ministry, his ministry, help you to do ministry. We're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. All of us laboring together. I think some people cause problems in church. Some people leave church. Because they are not serving. They're just sitting. They're just observing. They maybe get bored. They critique. They find fault. Instead of laboring along. And then some people, they serve, but they don't serve with the right heart or the right motive. You know what? If we're busy loving Jesus and serving Jesus and loving people and serving people, we won't have any energy left to get bent out of shape over every little thing that comes along. We have to remember that this is not about us. This is not about me. That's what we need to say to ourselves. This is not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus. And it's about other people. It's about serving other people. It's about Jesus and others. Uh, Second Corinthians four five says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. This is about Jesus and about others. What does that mean practically speaking? Well, it means this. It's okay in church if we sing songs I don't like. Because it's not about me. It's okay in a church like ours, this congregation on government, if the vote doesn't go my way, that's okay. Because it's not about me. It's okay if they choose a color... That in my opinion is not the right color. In fact, it's quite a dumb color. But it's okay because it's not about me. It's about Jesus and others. It's okay if someone sits in my seat. It's okay if someone parks in my parking spot. It's okay on donut day if someone grabs the Krispy Kreme I have my heart set on right before I am able to get to it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay if somebody grabs the last piece of fried chicken and I miss out. Ooh, this is hard. It's okay. You know why? Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus and others. And not only is it okay, it's great. It's wonderful. You know why? Because there's other people here. And we are not alone We're in a family. We're in the family of God. And here's the truth when it comes to families. Just like any other family, we've got some weird members. Don't look around. Look right here. (laughs) We're going to have some weird members. Some members are going to do strange things. Some people are going to do things we don't agree with. We're not always going to see eye to eye. We're not always going to vote the same way. None of that. But in the end, we are a family. And it's not about me. I want to encourage you, and we're out of time, to reach into your church like you never have before. How? By praying for it. By going to it. By giving to it. By serving in it. And I'm wondering, what steps is God calling you to do today? Some of you, you need to be saved. You need to become a part of the family of God. Some of you need to be baptized. You've never obeyed Him. Some of you need to join. Some of you have been coming here for a long time, And you're more faithful than maybe even some of our members are. But you've never officially joined. You need to join. Some of you need to begin giving. Some need to start serving. What is it that God's calling you to do? I'll close with a story. More than 350 people in the tiny town of Stromsburg, Nebraska, they formed a human chain. And the reason they formed a human chain was to transfer thousands of books from their old library to their new library. They built a new library. And residents, they said, stood shoulder to shoulder and they were passing sacks containing a few books. There was people there all ages and stages of life and they were passing the books from the old facility to the new facility. It was a distance of a few blocks. You see, most of the library's contents had already been trucked over. They already moved them. But city leaders wanted to involve the community. Here's what the mayor, Elaine Westring, said. There were people of all ages passing those books. They will always remember this day. The person who shared that story said this. It sounds like the church, doesn't it? You have people of all ages and stages of life. And they're standing shoulder to shoulder. And they're helping to pass along The good news of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the heart of Jesus Christ, ministering together, serving together, praying together, fellowshipping together, worshiping together, doing ministry together. I have to tell you, beloved, I am personally glad that I'm a part of the family of God. And I'm personally thankful that I'm a part of Red Hill Baptist Church. Let me encourage you this year, like never before, to reach in to your church. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction you've given to us. Help us to obey you. Help us to follow you. Help us to love you and the work that you've given us to do. Thank you for the church and our family here. Would you help us to honor you and to reach in like we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn, the altar is open. If we can serve you in some way, maybe God has laid a burden upon your heart, some area we've talked about today. You need to take your next step. We'd love to talk to you about that. You come as we begin to sing 455. In times like these, you need a Savior, you need a Bible, you need the family of God. 455, let's stand together and sing.